make sure I'm on. Okay. Uh, welcome to Trinity. We're so glad that you're with us. Glad that you're here with us in person or with us online. It's good to be together, and it's good to go to the Word together. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open up your Bible in the Old Testament to Ecclesiastes. We're going to consider the rest of chapter 1 and all of chapter 2 as we work through this most interesting and unique book in the Old Testament and all of the Bible, a, a book that helps us come to grips with some things about this life, about life in a frustrating world. Our aim is to go through Ecclesiastes this summer and wrestle with how do we go about living well in a frustrating world. We enter in now into the time in which our first-person narrative, the first-person discourse, that is, uh, begins. And so let's read just the beginning portion of this uh, as we will consider both the rest of chapter 1 and all of chapter 2. Let's read one, chapter 1, verse 12 through 18. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Let's pray. Guys, we come to your word as we consider it together. This morning, we pray for encouragement, that our hearts would be encouraged, encouraged to treasure you above all things, and there find that our means of living well in a frustrating world are found in you and you alone. So would you direct our hearts to you? Would you do good heart work in us this day, we pray, and we ask in Jesus' name, amen. In the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Marvin, the paranoid android, could sour any moment with a little too much depressed realism. Perfectly voiced by Alan Rickman, the totally dry and sad Marvin could be our guide through Ecclesiastes as we hitchhike our way through it, especially this next portion. The preacher here, the preacher's telling us he's gone all in or going all out in his quest to answer the question that we considered last week. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 3 is the question that the rest of Ecclesiastes is seeking to answer. And that question is, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? If you want to understand Ecclesiastes, you must see that that's the overriding question that this book seeks to answer. It is the heart of Ecclesiastes and it helps form the tagline of our series. Living well in a frustrating world. The preacher begins his first person discourse in chapter 1, verse 12. And, and the portion we just read is a summary statement of what would be detailed in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. 
And as we move through Ecclesiastes chapter 2, and we will, we can hear sad Marvin commenting along the way. A preacher will say, I had every possible pleasure available to me. Not only that, but the best of those pleasures, the best laughter, the best wine, the best houses and gardens and parks and pools, the best staff serving all my needs. And then Marvin would come along and say, sounds awful. I was wise beyond my years and beyond anyone else, the preacher will say. I could make sense of life and everything, and people would come to me for guidance on all matters of importance. And Marvin would say, it's even worse than I thought it would be. A preacher will say, I put forth every effort and all my energies to accomplish great things. I didn't quit or bail when it was difficult, rising above the struggle to truly accomplish what I set out to accomplish. Marvin would say, I've seen it. It's rubbish. And the preacher will say, there is nothing better than to eat and drink and be merry. And Marvin will say, I won't enjoy it. Last week, we laid out how Ecclesiastes helps us be honest and yet hopeful in a frustrating world. It's easy to think of frustrating things in this life. But what the preacher does is amplify the frustration by exposing that even the good things, the best things of life, cannot escape the frustration. In fact, they make it worse. So we're going to journey through this and seek to find a way to live well in such a frustrating world. And it will be important that we understand that living well in a frustrating world requires us to treasure the right things. Because what we treasure will determine how we live in this frustrating world. At the heart of our portion of scripture today is the heart and its treasure. The heart and its treasure. And we're going to wrestle with that in two ways. One, the under the sun treasures leads to a frustrated heart. The the under-the-sun treasures lead to a frustrated heart. And then conversely, the the above-the-sun treasure forms a well-lived heart. It's that dichotomy that we want to wrestle with, not just today, but as we go through Ecclesiastes. So let's tackle it first. The the under-the-sun treasures lead to a frustrated heart. The frustrated heart heart. There are some dynamics that we're going to find here in chapter two that help us understand what a frustrated heart looks like, feels like, sounds like. A a good way as we explore this, there are going to be several things that we're going to draw out, but the frustrated heart wrestles with this exercise. If only I had blank, life would be less frustrating. If only I had fill in the blank, life would be less frustrating. Is that true? Well, the preacher would say, no, that is not true. Again, Ecclesiastes helps us be honest and humble. 
The first thing that we find with a frustrated heart from Ecclesiastes is that the frustrated heart is empty. The frustrated heart is empty. Now, as we explore this, first and foremost, let's establish the fact that the heart is very important in this endeavor. The heart is Scripture's shorthand for that central deepest part of who you are, of our very being. It's that thing that makes us most us, way deep down in us. Our, our lives are, are happening out of the heart. And so whatever is happening in our heart is going to show up in the manner in which we live. Ecclesiastes 1.13 that we read earlier captures this. It says, I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under, the sun, uh, under heaven. Heart is used 14 times in our passage from chapter 112 through 226. 14 times. It's reinforcing the fact that the preacher went all in. Heart, fully hearted approach to searching out this question and answer that he has put everything into. He's gone all in. And his first full hearted quest is about pleasure. Let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 1 through 8. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad and of pleasure. What use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guided me with wisdom and how to lay hold of folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So he full-heartedly went about his quest to answer his question, can you live well in a frustrating world? And he went all in at seeking out pleasure. He held nothing back. He had all that the world could offer and the best of those offerings. And he indulged his heart in the pursuit of pleasure. One might say he had it all. His life was a party with the coolest people in the coolest places with the coolest things. And yet he makes some startling assessments of such an endeavor. His first assessment is it's empty, empty. He had it all and yet was empty. Let's look at verses nine through 11 of chapter two. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained. 
under the sun. Nothing. He had it all and yet gained nothing. And under the, word, under the sun, treasure leads to a frustrated heart. And a part of that frustrated heart is emptiness. The preacher kept his heart from no pleasure. Meaning he had gathered everything he needed for his pleasure quest. Yet he comes to the assessment that all was vanity. That is fleeting and futile. Or our word for our series, frustrating. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. If only I had blank, I wouldn't feel so empty. And here the preacher is saying, yes, yes, you will. He had it all yet gained nothing but emptiness. The next aspect of a frustrated heart turns from that emptiness into a cynical outlook on life. It's cynical. The second full-hearted quest that our preacher goes on is, on is one on wisdom. Let's look at verses 12 through 14. 12 through 14 of chapter 2. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly for what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceived that the same event happens to, them, to all of them. So first of all, there's some positive statements here. Living wisely in this life does have some net gain against living like a fool. There's an aspect of just common sense, reality. Living like a fool will bring about all kinds of unfortunate and unnecessary consequences. And wisdom can see forward, whereas foolishness, as he says, gropes around in the dark. And any time that you get up in the middle of the night and grope around in the dark, usually something bad happens. A toe is stubbed or something is knocked off of a counter or so on and so forth. But wisdom can see. But then he makes some assessments. He already hinted at it at the very end of verse 14. But look at verses 15 and 17 through 17. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For, the, for of the wise, as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance. Seeing that in the days to come, all will be have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me. For all is vanity and of striving after wind. The positive bubble that we see there is burst by the leveling reality of death. You just hear Marvin again. I have a million ideas. They all point to certain death. The preacher hated life, cynical of the lasting net gain of wisdom when everybody ends up in the same place to the point where he's basically saying, what's the point of living wisely ultimately? So he becomes cynical on life. A frustrated heart is empty. A frustrated heart is cynical. And then thirdly, a frustrated heart is restless. 
The third full-hearted quest that our preacher goes on is on accomplishments, doing great stuff. And the third assessment is immediate. It's right along with it. It's restlessness. Let's look at verses 18 through 23. Then I hated all my toil, in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And he and who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What is a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun for all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. Preacher introduces this third quest already assessing it. He doesn't waste time because time has already been wasted. His, he works and accomplishes great things, but those great things are left behind to someone else who didn't work for them yet gets to enjoy them. And at the heart of the culminating quest is a restless heart. Again, that verse 23. For all his days are full of sorrow. His work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. When we live for, that's important, when we live for under the sun treasures, we will have a restless heart. Again, Ecclesiastes is helping us be honest and yet hopeful when we consider living well in a frustrating world. This is helpful to us because it's honestly breaking it down. Do you want to guarantee a frustrated heart that is empty and cynical and restless? Well, then live for under the sun treasures. Make it your aim. And you will find the emptiness and the cynicism and the restlessness right there. Well, there's one more thing that we find here in chapter two about a frustrated heart is that it's not just empty, not just cynical, not just restless. It's resigned. It's resigned. Let's look at 24 through 26. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. So a heart that seeks treasures of this frustrating world will be a heart well acquainted with emptiness, cynicism, and restlessness. And that leaves the heart resigned to this is as good as it gets. Our sad robot once again interjects and says, funny how just when you think life can't possibly get any worse, it suddenly does. When the world 
and all of its offerings can't deliver what it promises. Our hearts are frustrated and empty and cynical and restless and resigned. We established last week that Solomon, the preacher on his quest, was seeking from an under-the-sun perspective. That is, he was looking at life and living it out from a man-centered perspective, from a human experience foundation. One could say a secular point of view. And that was his guide through this galaxy. So that when we see his words about God and his assessment, this final assessment in chapter 2, they're not necessarily coming from a place of faith-fueled vision, but rather from an empty, cynical, restless heart. But yet, there's tremendous irony. Because these same words can carry profound meaning to the one who does look at life and live it out from a God-centered faith. You remember in our question in verse 3 of chapter 1 is what does man gain? What, do, what does one gain from all the toil in which he toils under the sun? And that word gain is important because it's this, this accumulation of, of gathered in surplus that is experienced in life. It's an interesting word, gain. What's the profit? What's the surplus? What's the end goal? What's ultimate? For the believer, for the one in Christ, the one who sees God's grace and mercy through the person and work of Jesus Christ, gain gets replaced with grace. When gain is replaced with grace, the good in this life can be truly enjoyed. The helpfulness of Ecclesiastes is to show us when we want to eliminate grace, the God of all grace from our lives, we are only begging and should only expect frustration in the life that we live. So how do we, get it? How do we escape that then? How do we escape this? Because keep in mind, Solomon had everything that he needed to go about all of these quests full-hearted with all of the resources to have the best versions of everything that he could find. And he's telling us, he's telling us there's emptiness and cynicism and restlessness and resignation waiting for you when you go on this quest. And you'll have less things than I had. And you'll have worse things than I had. And it's going to be even more frustrating because it can't deliver what you're asking it to. So how do we get out of that trap? How do we escape that trap? Well, we find that the under-the-sun treasures are not all that they're cracked up to be. So set your heart on an above-the-sun treasure. That we go about treasuring God as our means of enjoying life. That's the antidote. That's the response to this honest assessment of chasing after the world to give what it doesn't possess. So go after the one who possesses it. Who's... Fullness is upon fullness upon fullness. Well, it's God who's over all things and accomplishing his good purposes in this world and in our lives. Well, it's God who has grace and mercy for weak and wobbly, wounded and wandering sinners such as us. Well, it's God. So the antidote to the pressures to chase after the things in this world to give what they don't have is found in chasing after the one who does have it above the sun 
is our way out of the empty, cynical, restless trap found under the sun, above the sun, where we see treasuring God means <clears throat> is our means of enjoying life. Jesus said as much. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus brings great clarity to this particular struggle, this particularly frustrating world. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, we find these words. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Don't put your heart all in on what will only frustrate and ultimately fail you. The under the sun treasures, they degrade and they disappear. They are frustrating, both they're fleeting and they're futile. There is something more deeply frustrating about asking a good thing to be an ultimate thing. It can't do it. It will buckle under the pressure you place on a good thing when you ask it to be ultimate. And not only that, you ruin a good thing and throw yourself down the drain of that empty, cynical, restless resignation. If you chase after filling in that blank with worldly under the sun treasures, if I only had blank, then you're asking yourself to be frustrated. But the above the sun treasure is opposite. It never depreciates, is never lost. It is never ruined. It does not lose its value or worth or or glory, or majesty, because the above-the-sun treasure is God himself. His grace and his mercy culminate in the person and work of Jesus Christ, who entered down into our under-the-sun world to rescue us from that trap, to rescue us from our sin, to rescue us to life with God in the full to something that will not lose its value, will not degrade over time, will not buckle under the weight of ultimacy because it is ultimate. There is our call, our antidote to the pressures of living under the sun. Living the empty, cynical, restless chase under the sun tricks us into thinking that mercy has no time for us because time has no mercy on us. We feel that trap, that vicious cycle. And we wonder, and we wonder, where is God? Yet in the gospel, God overcame the world for us in order to bring us to the one who will never leave us empty, cynical, or restless. We are made for above-the-sun treasure, and God graciously redeems us so that we can enjoy it forever.
a church father in the fourth century said some words that resonate and still resonate to this day. Augustine once said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Again, friends, we are made for the above the sun treasure, which is God himself. And by his grace and mercy in the person and work of Christ are redeemed to enjoy it forever. So take a moment and assess your heart. Apply your heart to what we've just considered. Are you asking a good thing to be an ultimate thing? Are you asking, are, are you sinking, excuse me, are you sinking under emptiness or find yourself cynical about the things around you? Are you restless over things you can't quite control or things that you're chasing you can't quite get? Or are you resigned to things just not working out for you? If yes to any of those questions, Walk your heart back to the truth of God's grace and rehearse to to your heart and above the sun mercy. A good place to do that would be 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. If you find yourself wrestling with the things of a frustrated heart, then saturate your heart with these words. Camp out here for a while. Remind your heart of this incredible treasure above the sun. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Get this, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Living well in a frustrating world is a heart that is soaked and saturated with that truth. Let us be a people whose hearts treasure that which is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would help us to see these things clearly in our lives and in our hearts. God, help us to see you are ultimate in that by your grace and mercy in Jesus Christ that we can come to enjoy you as ultimate. And in so doing, enjoy the things in this life in their right place, in the right times. God, if we have things in our hearts that are struggling in this way, struggling with these frustrations, I pray that you would be gracious and merciful with us and to lead us to see your your greatness and your glory, but also your goodness and your grace. And that we would find in Christ our means of escape and rescue from such a frustrating under the sun reality. And help us to then live out our lives and to do and, and to spend our energies on way, living out these lives for your glory and for our good and the good of others. And in so doing, help us to see 
what living well in a frustrating world means. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Psalm 116 says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy, because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. And in verse 12, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Please stand as we sing this closing song of thanksgiving together. Yeah.